Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. It is a Monday morning, September 11, 2023. Obviously, not just any Monday, as you recall, the horrific events that took place 22 years ago. Can you believe it? Matt Swain and I were talking about this this morning on the Sunrise Morning Show, how time flies, and just looking back, on that day i know we all remember where we were and each year we need to remember and we need to pray and that's one of the reasons why i'm so grateful to have ewtn ave maria radio sacred heart radio and all of our beautiful affiliates around the country because if we did not have catholic radio what a void there would be in really putting the catholic view and the perspective which is the fullness of truth in everything out on stories, even stories as tragic as 9-11. And there are events obviously going on in New York right now. We'll have a complete report coming up this morning, and that will be right after, of course, um, the weather and whatnot, and after I give you the rundown. Now, speaking of the importance of stories and how we are your pro-life radio and TV network, this story that we're going to cover at 15 minutes past the hour this morning, I don't know if you heard about it, it did make headlines last week and there's some real ethical issues obviously attached to it did you hear about the fact that there are now synthetic human embryos that were developed scientists have created the synthetic human embryos using no eggs or sperm provoking deep ethical questions according to reports now apparently right now or so they say and claim no one is currently suggesting growing them into a baby but how do we look at this well that's why we are blessed to have so many experts who can join us and explain the truth about this in catholic teaching father tapa holchek from the national catholic bioethics center who is an amazing expert on all things science and all things faith faith will be joining us after the break to talk about this developing story with a lot of concerns being raised about this so this is a super important story that we help you, of course, see from a truly Catholic perspective. And then we'll be wrapping up the program with Melissa Hansen. She's the Vice President of the Parents TV and Media Council. And we're going to be talking about a screen time safety and cyber kindness contract that families can print and review together and then sign. So this would be a great exercise for a family because we could all join in on it and not just the children, but the parents as well, to really help each other discern our media choices and to discern just how much time we're spending with the media. So Melissa Henson from PTC and Media Council joins us. And then finally, last but not least, of course, we'll have a beautiful verse from our friend Gail Buckley, Behringer, for our scripture verse of the week. Weather-wise, let's take a look and see what's happening. An approaching cold front will produce locally heavy to excessive rain in the northeast and in parts of the plains. Major Hurricane Lee continuing to produce dangerous surf and life-threatening rip currents in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, and those conditions are expected to spread up to the U.S. East Coast. So that's something to consider and to keep an eye on, and of course we'll be watching it for you in the news as well and on all of our news outlets on EWTN and online, also of course with the Register and Catholic News Agency. 
But right now, at already three minutes past the hour, a ton of news to get through, as you can imagine, on this very busy day, September 11th, 2023. Let's get started. Well, family members who lost loved ones in the 9-11 terror attacks will be gathering, or are gathering actually right now, at the World Trade Center Memorial in Manhattan. It's the 22nd anniversary of the attacks today. Scott Priggle explains. There will be six moments of silence, bell tolls, and music, and the annual tradition continues of the reading of the names. We close the memorial to the public, we close the museum to the public, and we open it to the family members, and we read the names, family members, uh, read the names of the nearly 3,000 victims. The president of the 9-11 Memorial Museum, Beth Hillman, adds that for the first time, they're going to honor those who have died from or are still suffering from illnesses tied to 9-11-related toxins. That'll include a wreath-laying tribute at the Memorial Glade right after the ceremony. And many family members who lost lost loved ones in the September 11, 2001 terror attacks are still left, they say, searching for answers more than two decades later. Brett Eagleson's father was killed in the World Trade Center and doesn't feel victims' family members have all the details on just who was responsible for the attacks. It's been 22 years, and it's shameful that we have yet to have an administration or a president that has had the courage to hold the kingdom of Saudi Arabia accountable for what they did. Saudi Arabia, meanwhile, denying involvement in the attacks. Meanwhile, family members say they're also frustrated that confessed mastermind of the 2001 terror attacks and four other defendants still have not yet had a trial. In other news this morning, a major story we're watching for you. Mark Mayfield tells us that rescue efforts are ongoing in Morocco days after a magnitude 6.8 earthquake rocked the northern African country. More than 2,100 people are confirmed dead and the toll is expected to rise. Thousands were injured as the quake was the strongest to hit the nation in more than a century. Morocco's King Mohammed VI ordered mosques nationwide to hold funeral prayers on Sunday. Offers of assistance have been pouring in from around the world, including the U.S. Officials at the American Embassy in the Moroccan capital say that they're not aware of any American fatalities. And tremors continuing to be felt today following Friday night's devastating earthquake. The death toll again standing at well over 2,000 with thousands more hurt. Reporter Maggie Vespa speaking with two tourists who were caught up in that chaos. UK residents Nikita Vidolia and Abe Ashiani were finishing dinner in Marrakesh when the shaking started. We noticed this glasses come shattering around us, bottles falling. It felt like forever. The magnitude 6.8 earthquake was the strongest to hit the North African nation in more than a century. And the epicenter, about 44 miles southwest of the city of Marrakesh, a major tourist destination. And speaking at the Angelus Prayer yesterday, the Holy Father offering his closeness again to the dear Moroccan people. He prayed for the injured and those many who have died and for their families. He said, I thank the rescue workers as well and those who are seeking to alleviate people's suffering. And he added, may the concrete aid of everyone sustain the people in this very tragic moment. Meanwhile, in a telegram sent on Saturday and signed by Cardinal Secretary of State Pietro Parolin, the Holy Father assuring victims and their families of his prayerful communion in the face of the natural disaster, assuring Moroccans of his deep solidarity and prayed for the repose of the many of the souls who have died, hearing for those who were wounded, and also consolation for those who mourn the loss of their loved ones and homes. Another major story out of the Vatican yesterday, the Catholic Church for the first time beatified an entire family at once. As Deborah Castellano-Luvov explains, the Ulma Ferry martyred during World War II. They were martyred for sheltering two Jewish families from the Nazis. 
The Ulma family, whose beatification took place Sunday, has become a symbol of Poles who rescued Jews during World War II, according to Archbishop Stanislaw Gadecki. In an interview with Vatican Radio, the president of the Polish Bishops' Conference shared his thoughts on how the beatification strengthens Catholic-Jewish relations. Archbishop Gadecki explained that the Ulma family was executed by Nazi Germans on the 24th of March, 1944, for harboring Jews. Two parents and seven children were murdered, he said. This tragic event is now unprecedented in the history of the church, since it is the first time an entire family is being beatified together. Discussing the significance of the Elma's beatification, Archbishop Gadecki highlighted the theme of human solidarity, emphasizing the willingness to help others, even when it involves risking our own lives. The president of the Polish bishops stressed that the Elmas were aware of the risks that they were taking by hiding Jews. Jews. This family, he said, must have realized that even though they lived at some distance from the village, they put themselves in great danger from the Germans by sheltering several people in the attic of their home. The archbishop said that the Elma children did not fully understand the situation and may have accidentally told the wrong people. The need to make larger food purchases at the store may have also drawn the interest of outsiders. He pointed out that other families also assisted, resulting in 21 survivors in the village, highlighting the solidarity of the community. Arch- Bishop Gadecki noted that the Elma's actions were rooted in their Christian love. Their actions also confirm, he said, their respect for every life from conception to natural death. They knew that every life must be protected, and they made that ultimate sacrifice for it. Virginia's Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin on Sunday granting an absolute pardon to the father who was arrested at a school board meeting after the superintendent lied about his daughter's rape by a skirt-wearing boy. Scott Smith was publicly and falsely accused of domestic terrorism and hate crimes here attempting to advocate for his daughter, a victim of sexual assault. That's according to the pardon. And Pennsylvania State Police believe an escaped criminal is still within the state and within the country. Cavalcante is considered extremely dangerous and there is a reward of up to $20,000 offered for information leading to his capture. At a news conference Sunday afternoon, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens of the State Police said the search for Danello Calvacante had moved to the northern part of Chester County after he managed to slip through a police perimeter. He said a white van at Calva County had reportedly stolen was found abandoned in the area, about 40 miles, actually a little bit outside the area, about 40 miles west of Philadelphia. Blevins adding that the doorbell security video showed him now clean-shaven and wearing a light green hoodie. He also confirmed that the suspect's sister was arrested by U.S. immigration and may be deported. And the Cavacante is a convicted murderer who escaped from Chester County Prison. That happened August 31st. New York City Mayor Eric Adams demanding all city agencies, as Paul DeCastro tells us, implement budget cuts to deal with the spiraling costs, he says, of the migrant crisis. His honor says that all city agencies may have to cut up to 15% from their budgets. We got a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. Mayor Adams called for the cut Saturday, just days after he warned that the continued influx of some 10,000 migrants every month would, quote, destroy New York City. Since April of last year, more than 110,000 migrants have arrived in the city. 
Hurricane Lee growing larger. The National Hurricane Center, as we mentioned in the weather, says a Category 3 storm has maximum sustained winds of roughly 120 miles per hour as it moves northwest. Hazardous beach conditions are also expected through the western Atlantic, and that will happen during the week. And the UAW, United Auto Workers Union, is now just three days away from a possible strike against all three Detroit automakers. UAW President Sean Fain telling workers on Facebook Live that he has rejected contract offers from all three and says they have not yet offered a fair contract. The union wants pay raises of 46% with the companies offering raises between 9 and 14.5%. And finally, in our news segment, at almost 13 minutes past the hour on Monday, September 11th, Apple is set to unveil the latest iPhone tomorrow at the company's annual launch event. They're calling the event a big one, saying it's expected to show off the iPhone 15, along with other new Apple products, including the latest Apple Watch and AirPods. It is a Monday, but not just any Monday. We remember what happened this day 22 years ago on September 11th. All the victims, their families, all of us impacted by the tragedies in New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania. Please, God, continue to allow peace in our country, peace in the world, and we continually pray for peace openly right here, of course, because we are your Catholic radio network, EWTN. And we're your pro-life radio network as well. We'll pick up that conversation with Father Tampa Holchek from the National Bio, Catholic Bioethics Center on this very, how do I want to say, I think it's kind of um, eerie story about synthetic human embryos that were developed, and they're saying they're using them to find out more about early life in the womb, and yet where could this possibly go? Real ethical concerns are being raised. We'll discuss with Father Tad, again from the National Catholic Bioethics Center, when we return on a Monday morning. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. And we need to pray for all our world leaders and all those who are in such danger. See, in a day and age where people are getting further away from God, you get further away from goodness. Only God is good. You remember what our Lord said one day? Why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. Only God. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. You may have seen this story that really broke in the last 10 days or so. Scientists creating synthetic human embryos using no eggs or sperm. The creation provoking deep ethical questions according to reports. I'm reading from a story on the BBC. The synthetic embryos, only days or weeks old, could help researchers, they say, study the earliest stages of human development and explain pregnancy loss. No one is currently suggesting growing them into a baby, but the rapid progress, this particular article says, has outpaced discussions on how they should be dealt with ethically and legally. The development of human synthetic embryos was announced at the annual meeting of the International Society for Stem Cell Research. Synthetic embryos are also known as embryo models as they resemble embryos for the purpose of research rather than being identical to them. So to discuss this development, we have an expert with us in science and the faith, and we're blessed to have him on again. He's been a regular semi-guest on this program. haven't talked to him in a while, but but Father, uh, you must be very, very busy with all these different stories that, that keep surfacing on, you know, attacks on life and questions. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is being used for uh, ethical reasons now, but to me, it just seems to raise a lot of concerns. Thanks for joining us. You're absolutely right. I think 
you know, the sense of red flags that people get around this issue really does merit some attention. So the issue here is scientists have been able to take stem cells, do some tricks to them, kind of cobble them together, and they aggregate to each other and form a human embryo, it appears. Now, they're calling it human embryo models, sometimes calling them stembryos because stem cells, embryos, stembryos. They have other names, you know, that they're using. They'll say it's an embryo structure, etc. But, you know, I think your sense and probably the sense of most of the listeners here is, well, if they're putting together this thing and it's starting to grow, it's starting to go along the trajectory of a typical human being's development, which is exactly what they reported in the journal Nature. They were able to grow these embryo structures for 14 days. So that's a long time. That's two weeks. And basically what they reported is that these embryos were perfectly capable of doing all the steps that a typical human embryo would do when it is growing. So you have this, you know, very basic problem. If it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. I mean, is it a duck? It very well may be. And if it is, then you write back in the ethical quagmire that you actually haven't found a workaround to the ethical problem of experimenting on human embryos. You've just created them by another technique. And, you know, just one last point here that I think it helps to kind of contextualize it. People think, oh, you mean you can make a human embryo not using sperm and egg? And I say to them, oh, yeah, remember cloning? That's a mm-hmm. way to make a- an embryo without using any sperm. So there are other workarounds. There are other approaches here to getting human embryos. This newest one just uses stem cells. So, uh, you know, it definitely it, it raises concerns. It raises significant questions. And I think, you know, ethically, people are right to say, wait a minute, we don't know for sure that you provided us with a convincing case that this is just something that resembles an embryo but actually is not an embryo. We're not totally sure of that claim. It, had this been on the horizon for a while, Father, do you know, this type of development? Yes, it has. Um, you mentioned the International Society for Stem Cell Research in the opener. They had this big conference in Boston. I was actually going to attend it um, and present at it, but some other things intervened and it ended up not being possible. And that conference was the place where the first announcement was made. And the, the lab that announced it was from Cambridge in England, and they had been working on this for a long time. Uh, they're sort of one of the leading labs, but there are other labs, one in Israel in particular, mm-hmm. uh, actually sort of came out right after the announcement and said, well, the, the type of embryo model from Cambridge that they were talking about doesn't really work, doesn't look like a real embryo, but we've done it, and here's, here's the data. And they published the data actually just a few days ago. Uh, and so, you know, the work on this has been ongoing. It's always interesting to look at these scientific papers. Uh, if you take a look at the original paper in the journal Nature, there must be 20 authors on the paper. So, you know, you ask, has it been going on for a while? Well, you've had 20 people working diligently on this, a minimum of 20, uh, for, you know, a very long time in order to bring about something like this.
Wow. Talking with Father Tampa Holchek from the National Catholic Bioethics Center, the story that came out in the last 10 days or so, as I said, scientists creating the synthetic human embryos using no eggs or sperm. They did this through stem cells. So, Father, this sounds like something. I mean, if it gets into the wrong hands, God forbid, or if these researchers want to go further, when you get money involved, I mean, okay, maybe I'm, I'm just taking this way too dramatically, but the first thing I thought about, oh, my goodness, are they going to be creating another set of people? for money yeah I, I think you know that sense of yours is legitimate I mean we have a situation here where we're manipulating early human life on a lot of levels we're probably crossing some fundamental thresholds which we really shouldn't be uh, and you know anytime you take a step to create human life outside the marital embrace you have crossed a key fundamental moral line Mm-hmm. And we're doing that routinely, as you know, whenever we do in vitro fertilization, and then we end up with trapped embryos in the deep freeze, many other violations of human dignity that accompany all of this. And these experiments that we're talking about today on the show are just a, another manifestation of a failure to respect human beings in their origins. So, I mean, you know, and I'm saying that maybe presupposing that it really is the case here that they're making embryos and the scientists are trying to say that they're not. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you're a scientist and you're doing this kind of experiment, what's your goal? Your goal is to make the model embryo as close as possible to the real deal. So if you don't do that, then your experiments aren't considered so successful. But to the extent that you, you know, remodel, recapitulate all the steps of human development, then it's considered to be, you know, a massive scientific success. So that's why I'm sort of staying on that level and saying, I think we are in a danger zone, that scientists are simply finding alternative ways to make human beings, and this is the kind of research that should not be done using human cells. If you want to do this type of research, which is good research because it helps us understand development, but you should do it in animal models, not in human embryo models. That was my next question. Is this type of research necessary for what they're trying to achieve in terms of understanding early life in the womb? Well, necessary, you know, it's always a good question. What, 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 what does the word necessary mean in this context? You know, to scientists, they'll pitch this as being a way to understand problems like miscarriages. And they'll say, oh, well, this will help us figure out how miscarriages happen, and we can prevent that from happening. So is that necessary research? Well, sure, it's good research in the sense that we we don't want miscarriages, but the question here is about the means that you're using to achieve good ends. And sometimes the means themselves are disordered, and to the extent that we manipulate early human beings and treat them as laboratory fodder, uh, that's not going to be an acceptable means to even go after some, you know, good and interesting knowledge that we would like to to achieve. So I think that's the issue. We're we're kind of not taking the ethics uh, with full seriousness in this type of uh, situation of new science developing alternative approaches to making embryos. Now, we only have about a minute left before the break, but let me just put this out there, and then you can come back after the break and, and answer this question. There's a line here in one of the stories, Father, that says the synthetic embryos do not behave in exactly the same way as normal embryos, so it's unclear how their use in research should be governed. 
One expert says, on the one hand, models of human embryos made of stem cells might offer an ethical and more readily available alternative to the use of IVF in, in vitro fertilization, human embryos. On the other hand, the closer stem cell-derived models of human embryos mirror human embryos, the more important it is to have clear regulations and guidelines for how they are used. So there's so many questions surrounding this that have to be addressed. And I, I just don't know, with, with previous examples in so-called quote-unquote science, it doesn't. these questions don't seem to get addressed. More with Father Tabba Holchek from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. The church is not against science. The church has given us so much in science over the centuries, and she continues to do so, but the church also gives us very important guidelines, yes, from a faith perspective, but also from a biological perspective, because we're coming from the basis of truth of who we are, made in the image and likeness of God, and you just can't mess with that. We'll be right back. Sixty seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. Buddhism itself has a lot of different forms. Just no one type of Buddhism. When you get to Buddha himself, he was a complete agnostic and uh, supposed to have been a very wealthy prince who had everything, but found that this was all hollow and empty, especially in the face of death. What he came up with as a basic principle is that the source of all suffering in life is having desires so you need to free yourself of all desires and then you won't suffer in this life anymore this would be very different from christianity where we don't want to give up our desire for god first we do believe that there is one god second we do believe that it's three persons in one god and thirdly that the goal of life is not emptiness but is union with god and through jesus christ that's the way of salvation the people you know and trust are on EWTN. Welcome back, Catholic Connection, on Monday morning, September 11, 2023. Now, on this day, we, we talk so much about life because of what happened on September 11. So many lives lost, so many families affected. Of course, we were all impacted by the attacks in New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania, all the incidents that happened 22 years ago on this date. And we should always, always protect life, uphold life, understand its dignity from womb to tomb. And that's why this story, and I think Father, and we're talking about Father Tapaholchek from the National Catholic Bioethics Center, really does in some ways segue or tie into what we lost uh, September 11th in terms of other people not respecting the, the dignity of life and the individuality of each person created in the image and likeness of God. This to me, it, maybe I'm just being a little bit, as I said earlier, dramatic, but or maybe I've seen too many science fiction films, but this to me is very sensitive and, and very creepy what's going on here in terms of the development of these synthetic embryos. I know they say they're doing it for research. They're not planning on developing it into a baby. But with everything else that's happened, with so many different medical issues, it's just very, very upsetting on some levels. Yeah, and I mean, they say they're not planning to develop it into a baby. Uh, You know, that's sort of not really the key question. You know, they're saying, well, we wouldn't put one of these into a woman's uterus and allow it to grow further. You know, that's also true for the poor embryos that are locked in the deep freeze in these frozen orphanages, you know, millions of human embryos. They're probably not going to end up in a woman's uterus either. But that's not the issue. The issue is, are they human embryos? And I think that's where the scientists are doing a little bit of dissembling around this question. 
They're saying, well, it's an embryo model. We made it a different way. Therefore, you know, we shouldn't really think of it as an embryo. But as you and I were discussing earlier, what's really important is this question. When you put these embryos together, you cobble them together out of these different types of stem cells, they start growing and they do everything you'd expect a typical human embryo would do. They follow the same line of development, producing all the different parts, you know, leading right up to uh, precursors of various organ systems. So this is definitely something that, uh, as you said, is creepy and should make all of us ask, do we have enough ethics here? Are the researchers, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to touch base here with the foundational ethical questions? Yeah, I just think there's so many questions, especially from a Catholic perspective. This is relatively the story, I know it's been developing for a while, uh, no pun intended, but but the Catholic Church has teachings on research and how we are to handle these things. But what about, probably not in this specific case, because this is so, so relatively new. What does the Church tell us about this type of research, Father? Well, the Church has looked at any of these other approaches that involve creating human life in glassware. In other words, not in the marital embrace. So whether you're doing in vitro fertilization, whether you're doing human cloning, whether you're putting embryos together this way, whether you're making three-parent embryos, you've probably heard of that technology. You know, there are a number of approaches to making embryos. And the Church says, look, that's not appropriate to safeguarding the dignity of the human person. We're all entitled to be loved into existence in the marital embrace, And embryos are entitled to the safe harbor and protection of a woman's uterus. They're not meant to be splayed out on top of a laboratory bench in in industry or at some university where they're being manhandled, manipulated, frozen, exploited, experimented on, you know, all of that. Uh, That's just below the dignity of how we should treat our own offspring, our own children. Uh, This is a step in the wrong direction uh, to the extent that we're making new life in any other setting. And, Father, what do you see elsewhere on the scientific horizon that is concerning in terms of uh, possible attacks on on human life? We're just really disrespecting who we are made in the image and likeness of God. Well, I would say, Teresa, to me, the, the kind of big threat that always looms here and always seems to gain traction is the commercialization of things. In other words, we live in a society where the customer is always right. We always tell everybody the good thing is to have as many options as possible. We all love options. And we don't tell people that many of these options are themselves immoral, wrong to do. And so if it's just presented as all equal options, and there's a company out there that's looking to make a lot of money on this, then the technology forges ahead at at warp speed, Many people make a lot of money, and as soon as there's a lot of money involved, nobody wants to backtrack and talk about the ethics. They just Mm -hmm. put that on the side burner. And see, that's what concerns me about this particular story, because because if this turns out that that they could possibly develop this into a human being, it says money all over it to me for so many reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, everyone keeps an eye on the potential for patents, for licensing arrangements with different universities, and very significant amounts of money do change hands based on these kinds of developments in biology. Uh, So there's no doubt that 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 will be an aspect. And, you know, that's what makes it very hard to, it's good early on, I would say, to have the ethical discussions and try to deflect 
as much as possible these types of practices because once they become enmeshed in industry and commercial approaches, it's very hard to undo them. I was actually pleasantly surprised to see some of the secular media raising ethical stories about ethical concerns that are being discussed among the scientific community over these synthetic embryos. Me too. I was glad to see that. I think people are, as you said earlier, they have a sense of creepiness here. And I'm glad they're reacting and at least starting to probe the question a little more deeply. I'm hoping, and maybe, I don't know, this is just out there, but you and I were chatting about this during the break, that some people, if they're getting that creepy feeling and they still call themselves pro-choice, might think, well, why do I feel so creepy if I'm okay with abortion? Yes, and I mean, you know, as we were also discussing on the break, the fact that scientists are working with these remarkable cells and they see the potential to create uh, an entire organism and to see the component parts, you know, it's a marvel when you begin to understand how God has put everything together. And it really does offer these opportunities for scientists themselves to almost contemplate the wonder of creation. So we have to pray that they will uh, and that they do, and I think a lot of scientists do. Uh, and it's a con- potentially grace-filled type of work and of vocation. Uh, So, you know, we need to pray for that, and we need to pray for the conversion of some other ones who, you know, are just looking at it from the vantage point, perhaps, of what they can get out of it, whether it's a Nobel Prize, whether it's, uh, you know, some money, uh, whether it's fame and and, and other things. So there's a a lot here that calls for purification, but many opportunities for grace as well. Last question. Isn't it interesting, though, that even in in this case and, you know, such advanced science that they're creating these uh, synthetic embryos, they still have to use stem cells. They can't get their own dirt, in other words, right? Yeah, the stem cells are special cells, and they have to do, in some cases, some genetic changes to them before they Mm -hmm. cobble together these little embryos. So, yes, you've got it right. These are... It's not that we're creating life itself. It's that we're taking pre-existing cells Life, and yes. deriving, mm-hmm. you know, a new yes. embryo. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't know, this just boggles my mind in terms of, I, I wish we could read God's mind sometimes when he sees this kind of thing. I, I know that's, a, <laughs> no one can understand the mind of God, but I'm like, wow, Lord, you're a merciful God, because this just gives me, I don't know, it just me the chills, and I pray for these scientists involved in this, and we're so grateful for your insight, Father. Thanks, thank you so much, Father Tampa Holtrick from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Real quickly, your website before we let you go, Father. Yes, uh, two websites, ncbcenter.org and my own, fathertad.com. All right, thank you, Father, and we'll be right back on a Monday morning. Along on a Monday, welcome back, Catholic Connection, coast to coast and around the globe on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Melissa Hansen is a VP of the Parents Television and Media Council, great resource for all things media, for families, terrific website. And they have something I think that's very helpful and can really be a great family activity to get everyone involved in discerning their media usage. And we all need to do that on a regular basis. So the PTC developing a screen time and cyber kindness contract that families can print, review together, and sign. The PTC recommending families schedule device-free time each week. And Melissa knows all about that as a mom. So I really like this idea, Melissa, because it makes it 
a family activity and it helps parents say, okay, kids, we're going to do this with you. We're going to try to be more cognizant of how much time we spend with the media. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. All right. So tell us a little bit more about, about the screen time safety and cyber kindness contract. Yeah. Um, the idea here is, you know, we, we know that a lot of schools these days are issuing students devices. You can't get away from them. You know, you have your school-issued tablets or laptops. I'm even hearing from some parents that um, if you if you need to leave class during the day, like to go to the nurse's office or talk to your guidance counselor, your hall pass is on your phone now. So there is this sort of cultural expectation now that kids are going to have phones and devices. So... The idea is if, if it's inevitable that your child is going to have to have a device, let's, let's create some boundaries. Let's make sure that everybody in the family is on the same page with respect to what is appropriate and what's not, what's acceptable behavior and what's not. Um, you know, how do we draw boundaries around our, our screen usage and when and where we can be online and what, what we do when we are online? It's it's so powerful, though, what you're doing, because when you get the whole family involved, you're setting an example, especially as parents, correct? I, I hope so, yes, yeah, because we know <laughs> that kids are going to imitate what they see. You know, it's not so much what you tell them. It's what, what do they see, you, see us doing, and, and so it's important that we model good behavior, too. So where can they get this contract, Melissa? How do they find it? And then kind of walk us through it. I mean, what kind of uh, sure. suggestions are you making on this? Yeah, um, it's going to be available on our website, which is parentstv.org. Um, and it's, it's pretty straightforward. We didn't want to make it overly long or overly complicated. Um, so the number one rule is treat others online the way I want to be treated. Um, I think it's easy to forget sometimes, especially if you're getting into a heated debate or argument with somebody that you don't know in the real world. Um, it's, it's easy to forget that there's a real person there. And so I think it's important for us to remember that um, these are real people with real feelings. And so we need to, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Um, and uh, we need to, to, to treat others the way we want to be treated. That's the golden rule, right? And it still applies online. Right. Well, I, I think it's um, important in, in all areas, but go ahead. Go ahead, finish your thought. I'm yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt you. No, and, and, and the, second, uh, the second one is demonstrating integrity online, and that means being the same person online and off. You know, if mm. it's something that you wouldn't say or do in front of your parents or in front of your younger sister or in front of your grandparents or teacher, then you shouldn't be saying and doing it online. That's very, very important because how many of us have tried to put out a different persona maybe, right, on, online, maybe want people to think differently about us or better about us or something. Or, you know, people just seem, even in emails, I notice it a lot, just think that it's a place where they can just vent and just let it all out and let, you know, let, whatever happens, just let it go and then everything's going to be fine because I feel better. I've got this off my chest. Yet they don't realize the damage that's done. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think it's easy for young people especially to forget that what you do online can follow you throughout the rest of your life. You can mm -hmm. delete a comment, but, you know, there's the Internet Archive. That what, what you do online can last forever, um, and it can really hurt you down the line. Now, you made some excellent points, as you always do, the fact that we live in such a, you know, media uh, technology swamped world. I mean, we're, we're engulfed in it, and, and you can't do really anything without your cell phone anymore. And, okay, some of that is good, some of that not so good. But yet you still at the same time, and I know you're aware of this because of what you do, we just had that report that came out recently showing that the more screen time that toddlers have, that really young babies have, 
the more they are prone to developmental issues. That just came out, uh, what was it, last week, I believe. So it's super important while we still can use these, you know, in our lives and whatnot and for very practical purposes, we have to get a handle on this. Absolutely. And I think it's also important for us to remember that um, even though there may be a lot of cultural pressure for us to get our kids cell phones when they're 11 or 12 or 13 years old, we don't have to. We don't have to. We, we do still have the final say. And I think it's perfectly fine and acceptable to push back on those expectations. Um, it, you know, if you're child is involved in an activity and the leader says, well, we need your kid's cell phone number because there's a group chat. They, group chat can go through me and I will update my child about whatever they need to know right. about what's going on. Yeah, very good point. Melissa Henson is vice president of the Parents TV and Media Council talking about a few issues this morning with media. Number one, the last few minutes we've been focusing on the Parents Television Council screen time safety and cyber kindness contract at families can print and review and sign together. But the other item before we let you go, we have about a few minutes left, Melissa. What is the latest with Congress and the Online Safety Act? Yeah, so they just got back from their August recess. Right before they went into recess, they they, um, passed uh, the Kids Online Safety Act and the Children Online Privacy Protection Act out of committee. So that means it's now going to the full Senate for vote. So uh, we would strongly encourage your listeners to contact their representatives, both in the House and Senate. They have different versions of the same bills that are going to go into reconciliation eventually or uh, um, mark up, you know, so to make sure that both both chambers are on the same page. But it's important that uh, our representatives uh, hear from us and, and know that we want them to pass these bills this legislative session. So briefly, what does this bill, regardless of which chamber we're talking about, what what are they basically asking for in terms of what they want for safety online? Right. So with the Kids Online um, Privacy Protection Act, a lot of that is about um, imposing a duty to care on these social media companies so that if it is at all foreseeable that there is going to be a negative outcome or a negative consequence for kids because of something that they are doing, they have an obligation to mitigate that harm. They have a duty to mitigate that harm. And so far, they have been um, free from any kind of liability from, you know, kids committing suicide because of pro-suicide messages or kids suffering from eating disorders because of pro-anorexia messages. They have been relieved of any liability for those things in the past. This puts liability on these social media companies for putting dangerous algorithms that put kids in harm's way. And I think that's really important. All right, I'm on the website, um, so where do we find the contract? I'm looking at it right now. Where would we go to? Yeah, um, we're, we're going to put it up on the Oh, okay, as as, all right. As soon as we get off this call, yeah, right now we, we had distributed it to our email members uh, so that they had a first look at it, uh, the folks that subscribe to our e-alerts, and uh, that's free to get, so you can go to parentstv.org to receive our e-alerts, but we'll be putting it up on the homepage as soon as we're done here. Well, wow, this is like hot off the presses. We have breaking news this morning. <laughs> I appreciate you heard it here first. We could say that on Catholic Connection on EW10. This is all good stuff. Thank you for what you do. And it's just so important. But I really like this idea. It's something to do together and to review as a family. And also keep in mind what Melissa's talking about regarding, of course, the Online Safety Act. Also very crucial. Melissa, thanks so much for all your great work that you continue to do at Parents TV and Media Council. Melissa Henson is a vice president of this wonderful organization. Check them out online. It is a resource, folks, that I go to all the time. They're in most of my books in the resource section 
because they provide such great information. It's very simple. It's just parentstv.org. We'll be right back on a Monday. Wow, this hour went by quickly. It helps when you have great guests like Father Tad, Melissa Henson, and, of course, our resident scripture expert, our own Gail Buckley from Catholic Scripture Study International with our verse of the week. Hey there, sister. What do you have for us this morning? Thanks for joining Hi, us. Hi. Today is from Proverbs, Proverbs 22, or chapter 22, verse 6, and it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And, you know, at Teresa, parents who teach their children to love God and, and respect the boss, they can expect, you know, to have a great influence on their children. And these words can also, where it says this, it can also be rendered as start a child on the right path, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, time and again, the book of Proverbs tells us that to teach children about the right and wrong while they're still young. And examples of that would be in Proverbs twenty two fifteen states, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a boy, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. <laughs> you know, and then Proverbs uh, twenty nine fifteen says, A child left unrestrained brings shame on his mother. And another, I think, that we're, we've all heard, whoever spares a rod and hate, hates their children, but the one who um, punishes their children, loves their children, is careful to discipline them. In other words, spare the rod and, ch- and spoil the child. We've heard that often. Mm-hmm. In the Proverbs, uh, it's, it's all three Proverbs, and, you know, in the biblical times, a rod was what the um, shepherds used to tend the sheep, and, of course, they must have used it on the children, too, but my mother used switches, and we had a bush in the backyard that, well, she stripped it clean of all the little switches <laughs> during my childhood. I was well-deserving of it, though. But, um, I think a lot of people <laughs> w- may, may feel differently about, um, you know, actual hitting a child. I think that's right. up to, you know, I mean, and, and I'll let Dr. Ray Grundy handle the psychology of that. But I think what your point is, is that we need, parents need to be uh, responsible. And it, it's interesting because we were just talking about during the, this always happens with the scripture verse. This is how God works. We were talking it's about amazing. the importance of families working together in disciplining when it comes yeah. to media and dis- being good examples. And Parents Television Council has this contract available where the family can sign regarding being kind online and, and having good media habits. So we're talking about the discipline and, and you don't necessarily have to discipline through through the rod or the belt or whatever. Right. And I think a lot of people have different views on that. But I really think understanding and making having the children understand who's boss, because they can figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, and we have to remember, too, that children have free will, just like adults do. So, you know, what we tell our children what to do, and they, you know, with a reason with them about how they should do. And But I think a lot of parents worry, like, when their children go off to college, you know, that they're going to go wild or they're going to get with the wrong crowds or whatever. I know my next-door neighbor, uh, she and her husband are devout Catholics and have raised their children up very well. And they con- they're concerned about that. And I told her, no, you know, the Bible tells us you raise them up in the right ways and they will come back to it. They might mm-hmm. go crazy a little while. <laughs> you know, they might try to you know, do things, but they'll come back to God if they know God, and they will. So we shouldn't worry. And of course, the Bible also tells us not to worry. You know, that's a sin because we're not trusting God. So I think we'll do like 
St. Monica did, pray. Right, <laughs> pray, right. and, and they'll come back around, you know. Yeah, or as Padre right. Pio says, pray, hope, and don't worry. I, I think, though, the, the point of this discussion is, as we discussed with Melissa, is to laying boundaries, guidelines, yeah. and being there, and regardless of how much they... You know, they they tend to push back, especially when they're younger, because, I mean, we all did it. You just mentioned you. I know I did it before. I drove my mother crazy. And, but it's funny because <laughs> I left the church yes. for many years. But like I say in my book, everything's coming up rosy. She laid the groundwork. And exactly. she had she had the certain look that she would give me when I knew what I was in trouble, you know. And so there, and, and I came back, I came back, and and so I think yeah. we have to continue to and all people in the family examples. You lay the groundwork. You ask them for the respect. You do what you need to do as as adults with the children because it does make a difference, even if you don't see it right away. Correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Just be good mentors to them and put the fence around them to keep them safe. Yep, absolutely. So, what's that verse again? Before we go, Gail. Okay, it's from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, amen to that. Gail, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest Absolutely. of your day. Gail Buckley is with Catholic Scripture Study International, talking about the importance of parental roles and authority roles in our lives. It's a beautiful verse to remember, and similar to what we discussed with Melissa Henson from the Parents Television and Media Council. I uh, want to ask you to keep... All the people impacted, the families, especially by 9-11 today in your prayers. I'm sure you will be doing that. And to continue to pray for peace. Right, Gail? Absolutely. Amen. Yep. Amen. We'll be back tomorrow, God willing, on a Tuesday morning. You have a great day. Ademani. Oh, we are. Uh, we still have a minute to go. I thought we had got a wrong timing. Well, anyhow... Okay, we're at 55 and a half. We thought we were at 56. Hey, it's live radio. It happens. Uh, just a reminder, again, that uh, I mentioned this on the Sunrise Morning Show, to keep your local radio station also in your prayers because think about what happened at 9-11, right, and why it happened because there were people out there who did not, as we mentioned with Father Tapa Holchek this morning, people who did not consider the dignity of each human person. So we need EWTN, we need Ave Maria Radio, Sacred Heart Radio, all these different outlets that are out there speaking the truth about who we are made in the image and likeness of God. Okay, there's the music I was looking for. Oh, well, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Adamani on a Tuesday. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.